In today's episode, we're discussing some smaller parenting topics like advice for learning to ride a bike, all the way up to managing picky eaters. Hey everyone, welcome to the Pape Fadike podcast, the podcast for dads by dads. When we started this podcast, we wanted it to be a reflection of the kinds of conversations we're having as dads. And some of the topics that we discuss are beefy enough to be these standalone podcasts, but they're also some more sort of smaller podcast topics that are much shorter conversations. And so today we're going to bring up some of those smaller topics. But first, here's my deal. I'm Dave. I have a seven-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy. I'm Jim. I've got a seven-year-old girl and a five-year-old girl. So Jim, why don't we just kind of jump into it? We're going to be covering a bunch of different topics. And just right off the bat, uh, I'd like to kind of discuss a little bit about how you taught your child to ride a bike and how they're both doing if they're both on bikes. The younger one hasn't quite figured out the bike and she doesn't have, she doesn't show a lot of interest in it, uh, unfortunately, because I think she's the last one in the family. If she learned how to ride bikes, we could be taking the family bike rides. (laughs) But the older one, and the older one was interesting because we had balance bikes. We had the scoot bike when she was, you know, uh, two years old or something around that. Mm-hmm. And then we had another balance bike, and uh, and then I took the crank out of out of her first bike so that she can kind of use that as a balance bike. Mm-hmm. And she never really took to any of those. Um, I guess the end when we took the crank out of the out of the oldest bike or the the most mature bike, whatever it is, the biggest one. Mm-hmm. She she could figure out how to scoot along on that and keep her balance but it really what happened is she decided one day that she was going to learn how to ride her bike i think we were we had been hanging out with her cousins and the cousin that's the same age uh, learned how to ride the bike and so i think she you know was jealous or wanted to catch up or whatever and so we came home i think it was the next day and she just had this fierce look of determination (laughs) on her face she just like that was it that was the day that she was going to learn how to ride a bike and she did but even i think the balance must have helped because uh you know, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it, but she's never had a significant bike wreck, and <laughs> which I think is just amazing. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. way different than when I learned how to ride bikes. Yeah. Um, you know, I just I had the, the dad give me a push. I wobbled a little bit and fell down, and you know, mm-hmm. did that a couple of times, and that's how I learned it. Yeah. So we're. Um, by the way, I love the determination that's going to serve her so well later yeah. on in life to say, I'm going to do this, yeah. and that's going to happen. So. And it was almost uh, like a cartoon. Like the look on her face was just like, <laughs> I've never seen it before. Just sheer determination. Focus face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Yeah, for us, um, we started off our daughter on the balance bike, and she kind of went back and forth. I mean, there was a while where she had both, but she really preferred the scooter. But she you know kind of got focused on the balance bike and we said okay look if you can you know really kind of nail this thing down then we can guy you know we can get you a big girl's bike and so she you know focused a little bit more and she you know at a certain point you just sort of knew where you could just see like all right this is she's good to go and we bought her a big kid bike and this was uh this was the beginning of the pandemic so of course there are no bikes to be had anywhere (laughs) Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we found a used bike that was pretty good price and she paid for it herself. And within, I would say, five minutes on getting on that pedal bike, she was golden. I mean, those balance wow. bikes really, I think, do the job. And, and to see how quickly she was able to, pick, I mean, literally just five minutes and then she was gone. Like that was mm-hmm, it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen older kids in the past who have just sort of gone straight to like, I mean, based on kind of what I'm seeing of them, they, they have no... They've never gone the pedal bike route. They don't have any training wheels or anything like that. And you can see them struggling. I remember we were at this um, like open parking lot where we were just 
playing with the kids and there was this older kid i must have been i don't know 10 or 11 and he was you know he's clearly learning to ride a bike and that kid just got frustrated after just a couple of minutes and i'm like man just you know if nothing else because he's much older i'm like take the pedals off and call it a mm-hmm, balance bike mm-hmm. and call it a day but that concept of just focusing on the balancing piece and not having to worry about you know the forward momentum and getting your feet rolling and everything like that i think it really does wonders you know our youngest is um he's still on the balance bike right now and you know we've also dangled that carrot like okay look if you want a you know you want a big boy bike you got to nail down that balance bike and i think that one thing that does seem to help and we've we've heard this from other parents too is that to find an area that's a just a little bit hilly so they're not Mm-hmm. So that they have the fun of like rolling down the hill, but not so hilly that, you know, it takes forever to climb back up. But at least it gives them a little bit of momentum and speed to kind of build up so they're not constantly like moving their feet. But yeah, I think like you, you know, he's the only one that's left. And so when we do go for a bike ride, we have two very different scenarios where, you know, my wife will go with the daughter usually and I'll stick with the boy. And, you know, we cover maybe a quarter to half of what my <laughs> wife and daughter can do. And so we're usually the ones like, all right, turn around. We'll get the card. We'll go pick you guys up when they're at the other end. Uh, and, it, you know, it works for now. But, yeah, it does sort of open up a whole new world of experiences when mm-hmm. everybody can jump on the bike. And, and I, we're, we're looking forward to that. The other thing we just picked up recently, my wife's like, we're getting rollerblades. I'm like, whoa, okay, (laughs) okay, we can do that. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up playing hockey and my wife, she can ice skate and our daughter used to ice skate as well, but the rollerblades haven't taken as well. But yeah, you know, so I think that uh, to get back to the point about the bikes, I think the, the balance bike really does wonders. And at least for us, it was that carrot of like, hey. You know, big kids bike once you kind of nail that thing down. But there's always the the tendency to, you know, they always kind of prefer the scooter. I think it's easier and they have that mastered at this point, right? So there's the kind of that push and pull. Yeah, the bike, I forgot to mention that the scooter was a good start to get mm-hmm. that balance. And I thought both of them had training wheels at one time or another, which as a grown-up, as an adult, does, they're pretty much worthless. It, you know, it's, <laughs> that's not, those aren't the things you need to, you don't need to learn how to pedal and and steer, you know, the idea of riding the bike is the is the uh, uh, is the leaning over and the you know the physics of how right. the bike works, and you just can't do that with training wheels. It's just like a giant tricycle. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I forgot the story that I had about the training wheels. So, I learned to ride a bike very late in life. I was, I think, in eighth grade, and my dad bought me training wheels for like 40 pounds, right? I'm an eighth grader on 40 pound training wheels. And so actually what happened, what really, what worked out for me is that as I'm riding this bike, I'm bending the training wheels up because I'm way overweight. And so naturally the wheels just disappeared. And and so I learned on training wheels very effectively as a matter of fact. So if you do go the training route, maybe, you know, buy something that is like totally not rated for your child. And eventually those wheels will just kind of, you know, <laughs> bent out of shape. And you, next thing you know, your kid's golden. So that that's how I learned. So, you know, in some cases, I suppose it, it, it can work for you. All right, cool. So, uh, you know, switching gears, another um, thing that I wanted to ask you about is, is how do you manage a picky eater? You know, my son, that kid, you know, we can get him to eat pizza most of the time, grilled cheese, and then peanut butter and jelly. But of course, peanut butter and jelly, our school is uh, a nut-free zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like a struggle. And even at home, like pasta, fine. But it is a struggle to get him to eat. So I'm curious as to what you guys do at home, if your kids are picky and, and how you handle that. 
I try not to cave to their demands too often. It's, but you know, it, it the problem is that it becomes our problem. That the mm-hmm. kids don't eat, then it ends up being my problem because it could be, become be behavioral, they kind of meltdown and things like that. So, yeah, how hard am I going to push to get them to eat what I made mm-hmm. before I break down and make something that uh, that they want to eat? But I guess I'm pr- we're pretty lucky in that both of the kids are fairly adventurous. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, we had salmon the other night. I didn't mm-hmm. like salmon when I was a kid. They mm-hmm. like avocado. The younger one likes to eat asparagus. So, mm-hmm. you know, just like nice. french fries. She loves mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So we got lucky in that respect. But there are days when they, you know, want something very specific. And usually during the week, I'll, about half the week, I'll cook for the whole family. So, you know, it'll be a, I guess I'll call it a grown-up dinner. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they'll have some of that. And there are the other nights where it's just, you know, either... My wife or I are not eating at the same time, or or one of us isn't there. Then I'll make, you know, the chicken nugget meal or something like mm-hmm. that. And the deal is, I will make what they want to eat, within reason, mm-hmm. so long as they agree on what it is. I'm not making two, mm-hmm. right? I'm not making mac and cheese for one and you know something right, else right, for the right. other. They have to agree on what it's going to have and or what they're going to have, and then I'll, I'll make that thing. And they, um, you know, like I said, they're pretty adventurous, and they will they'll eat the, you know, the grown up meals, the grown up dinners. Uh, because they were they, they were at a daycare, and the daycare provider would make them lunch, and she would make this. I mean, it looked delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, like quinoa bowls mm-hmm. with uh, yeah. like shredded kale and tomatoes <laughs> and all this stuff. So they come home and they say, you know, I don't eat vegetables or I don't. And it's like, uh, uh-uh, no. <laughs> I, I saw the picture that she sent. You know, that was just you had a salad. And you had a salad oh, for lunch, man. so you know, no excuses. Eat your veggies. Mm-hmm. We um, yeah, so. Our kids also were in a daycare where, yeah, I mean, they were exposed to a lot of foods. And, and I know for a fact they would eat them. But, yeah, coming home. And and actually, I would try and get recipes from the daycare provider. And she's like, here mm, it is. Same. And they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't yeah. touch it at home. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, the, the, our son is super picky. Uh, our daughter is, you know, I would say a little bit more than 50% of the time she'll sort of eat whatever I make. So kind of generally the way things work at home is... I handle all the meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I like to cook, so that's part of it. And um, so I've started to, I mean, long ago, I recognized that I was running a restaurant. You know, I mean, it was, oh, what do you want to eat for dinner? Okay, Mm -hmm. make that. And it sort of came to a head a few weeks ago when I made four dishes for one meal, which really Mm -hmm. was supposed to be a single dish. And it just kind of kept turning into things and things and things. And I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. And at that moment, I realized that, I mean, I've sort of always known that I've effectively trained the kids that this is a restaurant and you can ask for what you want. So that's on me. Um, and I recognize that. And so kind of the way that I've started to pull back from that a little bit is I don't ask about breakfast anymore. I just put stuff on the table and, and this is how I grew up. I mean, it was like, eat, you know, if you're eating what I'm making or you're not eating. And what I thought was interesting is that, uh, since I've been doing this for a couple of weeks, no one has complained about breakfast. They just sit down and they eat. Whereas before I used to be, oh, do you want to eat this? No, I don't want to eat that. You want to eat this? No, I don't want to eat that. And like, it was just, it took like five or 10 minutes just to figure out what they were going to eat for breakfast. So mm-hmm. that, just the fact that I'm like, here it is and nobody's complaining and they eat that, that already has changed my world. You know, lunchtime, I'm not there to deal with the, I don't want to eat this. And it is a little bit different. I think when the kids are eating with other kids, they'll either tend to eat or they tend to not complain about it is my guess. But there are times when he comes back and I'm like, you literally have eaten nothing for lunch. And so mm-hmm. he's starving. And so I give him snacks, which of course now he's not going to eat dinner. And so what I've been doing recently is I'm like, okay, if you're hungry, it's because you didn't eat lunch. So before you eat a snack, you have to finish your lunch. Mm-hmm. 
because at least that that's more nutritious than here's a you know a bag of goldfish and um also i feel like i haven't wasted any groceries that way <laughs> and and that's that seems to be working for now which is good uh you know and then as far as dinners go i generally don't plan for them which i guess is maybe part of the problem so i make whatever i want to make and then you know our oldest is always required to at least taste it mm-hmm. and if she right. doesn't like it that's different but you got to taste of everything it. Yeah. Now the boy that can be difficult. So we're still kind of working on getting the tasting thing going. Um, and you know, I would say again, like a little bit over 50% of the time she'll eat whatever we're eating. And I actually have, my goal is to have this list of recipes that I can basically pick and know that I've made it before and it works. So my goal is to have like a hundred recipes that I can literally just, you know, close my eyes, put my finger on one and know that that recipe works. And as I've been doing that, I've been collating a list of recipes that the daughter likes. And so kind of what we do now is every week when I'm planning out for the meals, she gets to pick one, you know, one meal is hers. She can pick whatever she wants to eat because our son's not quite there yet in terms of saying, yeah, I want that. So she gets to pick something and that seems to work out well. And then I can give that to her for lunch. And I told her that um, on her eighth birthday, that is the cutoff. So happy birthday. I'm not making any more <laughs> special food for you. You are now eating what the adults are eating. And, and in truth, I, I should have done this a long time ago. I mean, again, like I think I know this is not a unique problem. Like you see this all the time on like Reddit and TikTok and like people are like, you know, I made this thing and the kid didn't eat it. And then we go out of our way to then try and find something that they're going to eat. But the truth is, because I remember this with our daughter when she stopped eating, sort of, we went to the doctor and the doctor's like, look, your kid's not going to starve. You know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. they'll, they will eat, they might, you know, they might be hungrier if they don't like the dinner, but they will eat something. And I certainly remember growing up where there were meals that I didn't like, but you eat it because that's what it is. Yeah. And that's where I need to get the kids also. Plus, you know, again, like, you know, I want them to have variety. We cook all sorts of stuff. We cook, you know, Asian, Italian, French, Indian. And I think that's also important for them to get kind of get that background as well and, and to have that exposure. So, you know, we're still working through it. I'm not sure how it's going to work as well with the boy. Like I said, the, our daughter's doing okay, but the four-year-old, he's still a little iffy. So, you know, slowly but surely. It's interesting to hear about the breakfast. I recognized a while ago that uh, the girls will hit a point of decision fatigue. You know, mm-hmm. what do you want for breakfast? They pick something. What do you want for lunch? They pick something. What do you want for snack? What do you want for bedtime snack? Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, it's like, you know, they're just, they. I don't think they they can really handle another decision. So frequently, I'll just, I'll pick it for them. And yeah. at least half the time, maybe even more than that, nobody says a word. You know, whatever yeah. I put in front of them, they don't have to think about it. And they just end up, end up eating it. Yeah, and I think, you know, the big kind of surprise, I guess, for me was that I just, I thought that they would complain about it. And literally no one has said Mm -hmm. boo for the last few weeks that I've been doing this. They literally just sit down and eat it, which is great. Um, You know, one of the things that I do for our son, because he likes pancakes, is I'll make a whole batch of pancakes. Um, Right now we're into fruit fruit pancakes, so um, I think the last one I made was strawberries. But that's enough to give him breakfast for, you know, maybe seven almost the full school week because he'll eat a couple at a time so i just make them then throw them in the toaster oven and so you know it's great that i'm not constantly making new breakfasts and we made a batch of uh 
muffins over the weekend with blueberries. And so I think also for me, like having some baked goods where you can make mm-hmm. a whole bunch of them. And whenever my dad makes um, waffles, he sends a batch over, we freeze them, and then it's easy. So I think those things to also kind of that morning routine is just a little bit easier to kind of get them out the door. And, and that's kind of one of my tricks is just baked goods because you just you make them once. And pancakes are easy enough that you can make them in the morning, bang out a few, mm-hmm. and then you know refrigerate the rest, and then he'll get through it during the week. So um, that's something that I've certainly learned. So switching gears a little bit away from, I guess, more of the social stuff and into more of the academic type things, we're a little bit out of parent-teacher conference, but every time this comes up, I always think about it and I always forget to ask kind of other parents and I'm curious as to what you have to say, but, you know, how do you prepare for parent-teacher conferences? And again, kind of to give that reference point, right, our kids are, our oldest are in second grade and the youngest ones are, you know, preschool, so it's a little bit different for them. But, you know, do you do anything in particular to prep for it? You know, how does that work for you? I haven't done anything in particular to, to prep for the conferences. My, I haven't really been concerned about academics, and I think that's going to change in third grade. It's going to become mm-hmm. a little bit more serious. But until, you know, through second grade, I think it's really fundamental and sort of elemental things that they're learning, and I think that the teachers would let me know if something, was, if something wasn't clicking mm-hmm. with the girls. Um, and so I'd make myself available if they got something that they need to tell me. Uh, I want to hear it. But mostly, I'm so far. I've just been concerned about socialization, social interactions. You know, mm-hmm. what are they doing? Um, what are they doing with friends? Are they are they polite? Are they sharing? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all that stuff that helps me understand that they've that they're that you know they're having a good day at school. You know, mm-hmm. that whatever it is that they're doing, it's fairly smooth and it's working out. And you know, they're not uh, they're not crying all day or mm-hmm. causing problems or throwing paints or whatever. And um, I think you and I had talked about this uh, before too. I like to get up. I like to uh, go early to pick up particularly with the younger one and just watch them with their yeah. with the other kids and just you know just to know that that part's working out um for the older one towards the end of uh last year uh we did take the the um report card uh mm-hmm. which was fairly thorough and just kind of scanned those things looked at where they were looked at where she was uh, you know the prior semester or the prior year and see if there's any significant changes or if she was tracking the same way. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those things are not academic. They are things like, you know, knows the difference between whatever it is, you know, yeah. knows mm-hmm. how to do X, Y, Z. So, um, and I think in third grade and going forward, it's going to become a little bit more intense. But for the most part, it's just, I just want to know that they're doing okay. Mm-hmm. Do you, when you get report cards back, do you talk to your daughter about the report card? Or do you just say, hey, you know, we heard from your teacher, good job, or kind of, what do you, how do you guys handle that? We've been really encouraging that, mm-hmm. you know, we got your report card. You did great. Your teachers, you know, think you're doing great, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, generally so. I mean, if it's right. if something really, really <laughs> egregious, you know, we're not going to lie to her, but, right, right, right. you know, I'm not going to nitpick, you know, got a, you got a four on this, you know, you know, a three on this. You should really work <laughs> yeah. on that. She's doing fine, you know, yeah. and even some of the things that, that, um, that maybe are, are below tracking or whatever you know, those are things that the teacher will give us some reassurances about mm-hmm. like it's not a problem you know mm-hmm. usually by the end of the year they'll catch up mm-hmm. um, but we don't and again maybe it'll change with uh, as they get older but for the most part the report cards for me and mom you know we're the ones that, that need to have that information and they just need to know that they're doing a good job yeah yeah we're I think we're very similar in that concept so yeah you know we 
look at the report card, but we don't go through it like with her line by line, like, you know, you need to work on this and good job on that. <laughs> but yeah, it's just sort of a general sense of like, hey, yeah, I think it's like, you know, you're doing well as like a human being as part of it, right? That you're, 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 you're not like a terrible person. You're not the kid that's starting fights or the ones that's stealing stuff or, you know, whatever it is. So yeah, I think part of it is just, it's sort of the social emotional stuff, right? That all that social emotional learning things that, okay, she's becoming a, a productive little person. And then for the report or for the parent teacher conference things, I think we usually talk, you know, my wife and I will sit down and kind of talk about any questions that we have to sort of prep for the meeting and we'll, we'll kind of write them down. I think sometimes, you know, if things are going pretty well, the parent teacher conference ends up going like the teacher goes, your kid's doing okay. And then you're like, great <laughs> now what you know, you're like i have another 15 minutes so i think part of why we do it too is just to kind of um you know for the teachers that maybe need a little bit of prodding about how your kid you know how my kid's doing that it gives us some checkpoints there are always i think a few things that we want to check in on but I, you're right you know generally we don't spend too much time on the academics at this point but i think starting in third grade i think there is like a, a point of inflection there where things start getting pretty serious and then you'll start to see some kids excelling you know, the kids in the middle and then some kids kind of slowing down. I think you'll start really seeing the stratification of kids based on their skill sets. And, you know, one thing we're hearing from our daughter right now is a little bit in the math. It, she seems to feel like the math is starting to, to stratify a little bit in terms of what I thought was interesting. She said, hey, the boys are really good in math. I'm like, mm -hmm. hmm, that's, you know, especially. And I this, think because, this is the age for that. And we right. try to stay on guard. Yeah. And you hear so much about how you know, part of it is there's, you know, there's this kind of pivot point to like, oh, boys are better at science and boys are better at math, which is based on nothing, right? And so, you know, I think we we want to be sort of doubly careful about um, making sure that she doesn't feel discouraged and that, you know, her math skills are good. And it's not like, oh, well, you know, math is a boy's thing and science is a boy's thing. You know, those are, those are you know, the, the antithesis of what we wanted to grow up with. So, but anyway, to kind of get back to the point about the teachers, so yeah, we kind of plan through a few kind of things that we want to talk about. Um, and, and, you know, going back to the point that you made earlier about dropping off the younger one and seeing how they're doing, you know, what I also like about the the younger ones is that there's, so at our school, when you can drop the child off, well, pre-COVID, you can drop the child off directly into their classroom, mm -hmm. which always gives you sort of that daily opportunity to just check in with the teacher. And I remember specifically in a few years past with our daughter where the teacher would just kind of pull you aside during the morning and just say, hey, I just wanted to let you know yeah, about this thing, uh -huh. which so much easier. And I think that had you not dropped that child off, the teacher might never like they might. It's it's a small enough thing. That they might not send you an email mm -hmm. about it, but it's nice that you have that opportunity to talk about it. Right. So I kind of feel like in the lower schools, when you're able to do that, that certainly by the time parent teachers conference comes around, there shouldn't be any surprises. Right. right. You should. The communication should be free flowing enough that you should basically know exactly what that teacher is going to say. And so, you know, when we discussed this year, so our our kids are at two different physical buildings. And so where our older child is, they run a bus where you can kind of go back and forth for the, for the smaller kids to go. But my wife and I decided that, again, this was all pre-COVID, but we would do a separate drop-off because, again, that sort of opportunity to check in with the teacher, especially the younger teacher on a, on a regular basis as our youngest sort of acclimated to a new school and that kind of thing was I think very very important 
And so, you know, if, if those are opportunities that people have, you know, in their own schools, I would highly recommend that. And I think the point that you talk about just being able to observe the kids, I mean, we've talked about this in other podcasts is if you have the opportunity to go into a, to do any volunteer work, that's when you really get to see kind of how your child is away from you and all the Mm -hmm. dynamics of how all the other kids, I think also react to your child, right? So it's not simply how your child is playing, but is your kid the one that's being ostracized? And if so, why is that? Is that something they're doing? Is that something the other kids are doing? So you can learn a lot just by going on a field trip and seeing all the interactions between the kids. It's so fascinating. Um, but yeah, that I guess that was one of the things that we learned about parent-teacher conferences. Sometimes it helps to have the questions prepared because you need to draw the teachers out sometimes where you're like, you know, if the kids don't okay, then, then there's nothing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those sort of quiet moments when you, you know, run out of things to talk about, we have used that as an opportunity to get some direction from the teacher. You know, what sort of books should she be reading? Mm-hmm. Uh, but most importantly, in the last one was, um, you know, what's a, who's a good fit for playdates? You know, who's mm-hmm. got similar personality styles that you think mm-hmm. would be would be good for extracurricular sort of socialization? And that was really mm-hmm. helpful. I hadn't thought about that. That's a nice one. Um, which I think this is a good segue into the next question that I had because we're actually uh, I hadn't realized this but we're going in order of uh, I think easiest questions to answer to the more complicated (laughs) stuff now so as we we've moved away from bicycling and and food into the realm of social interaction and education you know I'm curious as to how you guys deal with social interactions at school so just um, last week I picked up my daughter at school and the minute I picked her up I knew something was wrong and you know we're walking to the car and and I can just see that there's something welling up inside of her and we get in the car and I'm you know I'm like what's what's up and then she just she loses it and she starts crying and she said you know there are these three girls that say they don't like me and the funny thing is is that she's kind of friends with at least two of them I don't I can't remember who the third girl was but she does play with the other two and you know it, it's just that very sort of complicated you know I think we're starting to see the beginnings of you know, the social complexity, especially for girls, obviously you and I are not girls. And so I think, you know, those are things that we just don't necessarily know about. I think there, there is something different between how boys and girls are interacting at this point in time. And so, you know, to kind of see that, and, and I, there are a lot of times when she comes to me now and I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for exactly how to talk about these things with her. So I'm kind of curious, have you guys had any experiences like that? And sort of, how are you addressing that? I am I'm genuinely concerned about bullying just because it's, it's something that I can't control. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if this this event that you're talking about qualifies as bullying, but just that sort of, um, you know, the antisocial or, or um, exclusionary sort of behavior. I don't, it's really hard for me to, it's really hard for me to, to deal with because it's not something that I can handle directly. You know, it's all mm-hmm. something that we have to deal with indirectly. Mm-hmm. And uh, similar to you, I'll ask her at the end of the day when I had pick up, you know, how, how was it today? And sometimes it's very quiet answers. And if there is some, some something that's been of concern, she'll generally share it. So I feel like I'm getting good information from her. There was a, uh, and I don't take any credit for this, but she, there was a, an experience where there was some, there was sort of an exclusionary event uh, you know, the, she was my best friend, and then she's not my best friend. This other friend is, you know, and what was very interesting to see is that she didn't internalize it. It was mm-hmm. more like, it was it was much more matter of fact and mm-hmm. a sort of, she didn't think like, well, I'm, you know, nobody likes me or I'm a bad person. Right, right. It was like, this just isn't kind of working out, which was nice to see. 
And what I will take credit for is there are two things that we practice. One is that, uh, you know, I try to encourage her to be a friend. You know, if you want to have a friend, you need to be a friend Mm -hmm. and, you know, look to be of service, you know, Mm -hmm. see if you can help somebody out. If you, you know, if there's somebody who's standing alone, go, Mm -hmm. go talk to him and try to be a friend. And there's, um, there's an acronym that we use and I think it's smart. I don't forget what the last one is, but you know, when you see somebody or you meet somebody, smile, you know, you make a compliment, Mm -hmm. uh, you ask questions and you respond, I guess it's S-M-A-R-R and I don't remember what the T is. Well, that's a really helpful practice, just mm-hmm. basic social formula for how to interact with other people. And then on the flip side, back to the bullying thing, and particularly when the girls were younger and there were kids that would hit at preschool or mm-hmm. that were would you know do touching and things like that, we practiced the mean girl face, you know, show me your mean girl face and you know from the gut, hey, don't touch me, hey, mm-hmm. stop hitting me. And uh, you know we say the first time it happens, you know, that's, you know, kind of let it go or talk to the teacher. But if it happens mm-hmm. again or if it happens a third time, like you start, you know, standing up for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I explained it like, you know, I don't want anybody picking on my girls and I'm not there to mm-hmm. to stop it. So you have to do it. You have to stand up for yourself and mm-hmm. and make sure that uh, that people are respecting your boundaries. Yeah. for the So for the bullying thing, we teach kind of the same thing as like, look, the first time, say, you know, stop it, go talk to the teacher. But yeah, second or third time, I'm like, go ahead and take a swing at him. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, you, you have my blessing if it's still totally. not, you know, if the teacher's not interceding, then feel free to to do what you need to do. And I know that there's a, a child in her class right now who is a little problematic. And my understanding is he doesn't have a lot of friends. And maybe that's part of it is that, you know, because he's trying to do all this stuff, that's why he doesn't have a ton of friends. Um, but yeah, and I, I think, you know, with respect to this particular instance, I'm not clear that it was bullying per se but there so certainly was almost like this it was um it, there was definitely like i don't want to say a social pecking order right but but there was certainly something about this and and i you know one girl in particular see i think part of it is that one of the girls feels very much protective of the other girl in terms of that that's my best friend. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really where this came about is that maybe my daughter was trying to play, you know, with this girl and the quote best friend of this girl was like, Hey, I don't want to share you. And so I'm, you know, I'm going to tell you, I'm not your friend, you know? So yeah, it, I think it was more like the head game stuff. And, you know, for me, I, I've told my daughter this story a couple of times as these kinds of things keep happening is, is it look, you know, at, at this age, it, this does happen. And a lot of times it blows over. So, you know, I very distinctly remember when I was in third, first grade, um, my best friend and I had a, you know, just a knockdown drag out fight. Now, and we weren't like not a physical fight, but it was like, you know, and, and the story behind it was that, you know, he wanted to be Han Solo. I wanted to be Luke Skywalker, but we needed a Darth Vader and no one would be Darth Vader. And so he went around telling all of our friends, don't be friends with me that that for the whole day. (laughs) And then, you know, like literally, you know, the next day or a few hours later, we were playing again, right? Like they, you know, that sort of like concept of like, yeah, these things do happen, but a lot of times people, the kids don't really mean it as they're starting to learn kind of about themselves. And so I try and tell her like, look, you know, we've seen this before. This is not the first time it's happened to you where somebody says, I'm not going to be your friend. And then literally hours later, they're your best friend again. Um, and you know, it, it's not, I, I, tr- I hope that by illustrating something from my, you know, own example that it will help her go, okay, I, I can believe what, 
daddy's saying because this has happened to him before and i try and reference like oh remember last year you know we had the same thing and remember like a day later it was all fine and and like i said you know the, the, literally the next day 20 less than 24 hours later you know she was playing with the girl because I, I saw it i was at the drop off in there like they were talking like they were best friends all over again mm -hmm. and so you know these things kind of you know come in and out and so i'm i'm kind of trying to explain that like the kids don't really mean it at this age um i don't know i might have to pivot that when they get a little bit older and the kids actually do mean it but it it does feel like they don't really understand what these things mean because you know again just a few hours later it's like nothing happened and so um you know so i think i think that's part of it something about what you said the social pecking order i, I had this vision of when my girls were younger and uh, and i think i did with my younger brother as well i just reach over and smack them you know <laughs> <laughs> just to see what would happen, right? Uh -huh. you know, yeah. And, you know, what are mom and dad going to do? What is mm -hmm. uh, what is my little brother going to do? And something about that experience that your daughter had kind of feels like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, let's just, let's do this mean thing mm -hmm. or say this thing, see what happens. You know, it's maybe yeah. there's not some real intention there other than, like, let's just see what this sort of social power is, you know, see what right. that, see how that works and, you know, what to do with it. Yeah, and I think, that, I mean, it does feel, at least in terms of how, our daughter's been interacting with us. It does feel like they're trying to find out what the boundaries are, right? Like mm -hmm. that's just part of growing up. So, you know, she's stolen some candy from like, not stolen. She snuck some candy, right? And it's like, okay, what are mom and dad going to do? Or how long can I get away yeah. with this? And if I get caught, like, what is the repercussion? And, you know, we were talking about this recently where, you know, she snuck a bunch of iPad time in and then went to school sleepy. And now she's on a three-month hiatus from, the, from screen time because of it. So now she knows that we're pretty serious about, you know, if you try and sneak in, you know, screen time, the repercussions are significant. So at this age, I think, you know, they're starting to understand that concept of like, a social structure but also just again like all of these social norms and trying to figure out what these things mean like what really is a best friend and like can i turn off my bet like is it like a light switch like you're my best friend right now but in a minute from now you're not and yeah i, I really feel like everybody's trying to push the boundaries and I, I guess the other sort of complicated thing which will lead us into maybe the next question here is i think one concern is also the like how the parents are, you know, like what the relationship is with the parent, with their child of the the child, you know, like if your daughter's having a problem with another child, like what is their parent talking to mm -hmm. and, and how's that interaction going? The best friend thing, I forgot to mention that we, from early on, we tried to steer away from the best friend, obviously, because mm -hmm. if you're not the best friend, it, that doesn't feel great. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so we tried to say, like, we have, we have good friends, you know, they're mm -hmm. my good friend or maybe even a better friend, but they're, you know, a good friend. The best friend feels very ex exclusionary mm -hmm. in that if you have a best friend, then everyone else is not your best friend. And that's right. that can be different. But is I mean, I feel kind of naive because kids do have a best friend. You know, they've got a first friend or a preferred friend. And it's, you know, trying to figure out how do you how do you frame that in a way of like that? It, maybe that's your favorite friend, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, the idea of you're my best friend, putting a title on it or a, or a label on it can be exclusionary. And, and again, maybe that's just something people are trying out. Yeah. And I think also at, at this age, it like it's unclear to me, you know, really, if that's a best best friend, you know, like the, mm -hmm. I think the, the kids are going to kind of go through like I can see how like in middle school, like there is somebody that you're tied to the hip with. Right. Yeah. But at this age, I think also it's important to, you know, have a bunch of friends, right? Like that's part of 
that should be part of their actual growth as a little person, right? Of like, okay, understanding the complexities of, of having multiple people in your circle and the ins and outs and, and, you know, the sharing. And as you talk about, right, like best friends, but to the exclusion of others. And, you know, all of these things, I think that having a bunch of friends does build like more of a, mm-hmm. a wider social structure. But whether or not as parents, you know, we're actually able to sort of influence that i think is a is a question right because they're going to do what they're going to do on the playground they're going to ask for playdates with whoever they want with playdates and and so i i I think it's difficult but in as much as you know we can sort of say hey you know try and find a bunch of friends and over time right you'll start to kind of narrow down the the point of the pyramid you know as they get older we talked about this when the in the extracurricular conversation in that podcast where you know, I feel if my daughter's maybe in a swim class or a you know martial arts class, and then you know is at school and maybe has an after-school program, maybe she's got a favorite friend in each of those places. You know, mm-hmm. and that's a uh, you know that's a way to have a much wider circle of friends rather than the close clique that may be in the class. You know, if yeah. they can diversify, I guess is a is an interesting word to use, but they could have friends from different arenas or different forms of their life. I think that helps, as you say, to sort of balance out that socialization. Yeah, and I think, and I think we've discussed this on other podcasts as well. Like the, the fact that I think it's good that at our school they're constantly moving the kids around, and so that it, you know, what we're starting to see now is that kids are able to maintain their relationships, even if they're not in the same class. Whereas before it was really like, my best friend or my friends are going to come out of whatever class I'm in, but to be able to have sort of a more permanent tie of it's not just like oh I see these kids every day, so therefore. I'm going to find a friend in here. And I think, you know, especially when you're moving into classes where you don't necessarily know any kids. I mean, last year, my daughter was in a class and I look at the class. I'm like, who are these kids? Like, We've been here for four years. I know like a quarter of these kids, where the rest of these other, you know, where did all the rest of these kids come from? And it was interesting because, you know, going back to sort of the, the field trips, I mean, the very first field trip we went on, I noticed there was a huge clique of girls. I mean, there was maybe that year was interesting. I think it was almost 50, 50 girls, boys. But the clique of girls was maybe like 80% of the girls were in this one clique. And my daughter was friends with a couple other kids outside. But I think, you know, being able to have friends that are from outside the class, I think also helps you just kind of, you know, just in general, like understand how those relationships, you know, are going to evolve over time. And so I think it's important, at least for us, that we don't try and intercede in the class selection, because I think a lot of times it's easy to just be like, oh, I want, you know, I, I know this family, they're good people. I want to make sure my daughter stays with them. But I think there is something to, you know, being forced to go through the whole thing over and over again, even though I'm sure my daughter would prefer to stay with her closest friends year on, you know, year over year. Uh, but I think it is important to kind of have that mix up every year. So um, I guess this then brings us to the last, and I think. I don't want to say the most pointed, but this to me is the most sticky of all questions because it deals with parents. Uh, so uh, kids stealing at school, right? So again, I'm going to take another example of something that just happened. This is actually, I'm still in the process of working through this specific example. So I'd love to hear your input. But basically, uh, my daughter went to school. She had some Pokemon cards on her desk and then she came back and they were gone. And one of the girls said, I saw this boy take them from her your desk. And I asked my daughter, you know, did you tell the teacher? And I can't remember, whatever reason the teacher's not involved in this conversation. So I'm like, you know what? Uh, And this goes back to a little bit about the bullying bullying thing is that I know that I know that my daughter doesn't particularly like this boy because he is like, he's one of these kids that like, 
hits kids and like just does he's one of the annoying kids i i don't i wouldn't say it's like full-on bullying because some of it is not bullying it's really just he's the annoying kid and um <laughs> and you know maybe he's lashing out i don't know right i don't know what his deal is so i already have kind of a sense in my head that like look my daughter doesn't like this guy and i know for a fact that he does you know kick her I, and i don't think it's like a kick that like hurts but it's still something that is unacceptable right so you know and, and she tells the teacher and she's like he does it to everybody so he's not just picking on my daughter it's everybody so already my spidey sense is up and i'm like look here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go tell his parents to go find out what's going on so already this creates a level of complexity now that we're getting parents involved right so i'm like i'm really sort of cautious about how i phrase this email because i don't want to be like your kids stole a bunch of stuff from my daughter bring it back for a number of reasons i think one is that parent is not going to react super well if i just come out straight up and accuse her child of doing something a and b truthfully i don't know this kid that uh accused this other boy of taking my daughter's cards right like if it if it was a girl so it was a one of her friends it was a girl so if i knew this girl and i knew her family i might be more willing to be like okay i can trust this this girl but i don't know this girl who told my daughter like i saw that boy take those cards so there is a little bit of like i'm hearing third hand and you know for all i know like she took the cards herself and like i'm gonna mm -hmm. make this boy the scapegoat because right. everybody hates him anyway yeah. so i tried to be really cognizant of that in the email that i sent to the mom and i was like look i you know here's the situation my daughter had some cards this other girl said they saw your son taking the cards i you know i don't know if this is a misunderstanding or not. i was just wondering if you could check in with him and see if he knew anything about it and i sent that email off and i'm like oh, i probably should have sent that email off <laughs> so i sent it off and I'm waiting for a response. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is a mistake. What a, what a terrible thing to do. And so the woman responds to me later. And she's like, oh, uh, I just got this. My son's asleep. I'll ask him tomorrow. I'm like, okay, we'll see what happens. So she gets back to me. And she's like, look, we asked him about it. He said he didn't take it. But we took all of his cards away. And if you can tell us which card she's missing, we can make sure that, you know, it's not in the deck. Now, there's a couple problems with that because... You know, it's like baseball cards, right? There are multiple, he could absolutely have the same card my daughter's missing and it wouldn't be him that stole it. So to me that, I appreciate that that was her solution. Um, but, you know, realistic, and my daughter's not enough into Pokemon to be like, I'm missing the Charizard level 56, right? Like that's, <laughs> she, she can't do that. Um, and then she said, the, the woman said, you know, for, she said, hey, if, if I if he's lying to me, there's going to be hell to pay. I'm like, OK, well, that that feels good to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then she's like, um, what did she say? She said. If you can give me a little bit more understanding of what happens before we accuse him again, and I'm happy to jump on a Zoom call. And I said, so I was like, OK, like, you know, again, this is the complexity of you just don't know how other parents are going to react and whether they're going to take it seriously and feel defensive. So I'm like, okay, the first hurdle is passed. So then I responded to her. I said, look, if he says he didn't do it, I'm going to take him at his word because, again, I don't, this is a third hand story. You know, I just wanted to check in. And I said, you know, I appreciate you looking into this. And again, I, I want to be sensitive to the fact that this is third hand. And so I'm not accusing him of doing anything. You know, I just kind of wanted to see what he had to say. And uh, I sent that email on Thursday night. I haven't heard back yet. My guess is that didn't go over real, <laughs> real well. Uh, but I, I suppose at least she didn't send me a really pissed off email. So anyway, that's the story. I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
what I maybe what what you might have done differently. I think for me the big thing is, I guess I would say that if I in thinking about it again, I feel like it's one of those like pick your battles that ultimately I'm not clear that if I had to do it over again, it's worth it would have been worth it because um, I do feel like I was hopefully pretty clear about I'm not accusing your son of anything. I just wanted you to kind of check in, but I guess maybe that in and of itself is an accusation. Um, so yeah, this is kind of where things get sticky. And so I would really love to hear what you think about this. Oh man, I wish I could help. That's, <laughs> that is a heck of a situation, but I think you did a lot of things that, that I would do, you know, oh. obviously bring the conversation to the parents rather than grabbing the kid by the scruff of the neck at pickup time. You know? <laughs> give me your, give me your cards, <laughs> hand them over. Uh, so you're right. I mean, it's definitely a conversation for the parents, but the, the three-way accusation, you know, with the, with the other girl who said, you know, that kid took it. I mean, who, yeah, that's really, mm-hmm. that's really tricky. Um, I don't, I really don't know how it could help. I was trying to think of a, of a comparable event and I think I've forgotten some of the details, but there was, um, so our older daughter, there was a time where she just took the things that she wanted. And in a way it almost mm-hmm. felt like, like, uh, like it was an obsessive thing. Like she couldn't help herself, you know, that she just, there was like these little play plastic phones that her, that her cousins had. And we got home one day and they were in her backpack and like, where did these come from? Uh, you know, it's like, oh, they gave them to me or, you know, whatever. And they didn't, she had just pocketed them and mm-hmm. taken them just cause she, you know, was so attached to them. And, uh, and so we kind of talked through that. We figured that out and, you know, it was, she was a little bit younger and it was family. So that wasn't a big deal. But there was another event where she, similarly, there was something that another girl had that she just liked. And she, mm-hmm. you know, was very attached to it and just took it. And the other parent did contact us and say, you know, this is this is what happened. You know, that's not, it, it wasn't a gift, you know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't, she didn't have permission to take it, essentially. And so mm-hmm. we, we had her bring it back to the school the next day, obviously, and say, you're sorry. And we you know, worked it out with the parents. And then that night... Uh, that same so the day that she brought it back she came back and she and she had it again and mm. I was I I had this this moment of just uh like I almost felt like uh like I, I felt like it was a preview of some sort of teenage year of like mm. you you lied to me you know I felt just like betrayed and so we marched over to the to the other houses like you're bringing this back right now mm. and we got there and they said no no see they you know she said no they she said I could take it home you know she's <laughs> and, I, and I was like no you'd this isn't, it happened twice. You're lying to me now. Exactly. And we walked over to the other, to the other family's house and they said, you know, yeah, she said that she could take it home tonight. So, um, so I guess we got lucky in that respect, but there, that sort of that, I mean, that's not, that's not nearly similar enough to your experience, but other than, you know, I think dealing with the, the parents is obviously the way to go. Um, yeah. I don't know how you would resolve it otherwise. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, I feel like where I went wrong is that this is a third-hand accusation, effectively, right? Like, it's one thing if my daughter says, I saw that boy take that thing off my desk. Right. I think that's where it it went wrong, at least where it just gets a little bit more complicated, you know, because, like, if I think about it again, I'm like, I don't know that I have a real justification to go out, you know, because I don't, again, I, or, again, if it was a, if it was a, child that I knew really well and I knew the parents really well to be like okay that girl never lies and again I'm not saying this girl's lying but I don't know what the truth is right and so I think that was the mistake is 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 acting on what is effectively a third hand story 
And, um, you know, this is actually not the first time it's ha- I mean, I remember what was it was two years ago, somebody took something right out of her backpack, like straight up unzipped the backpack and took something out of it. And I can't remember how we resolved it. I think that um, somebody saw her take it. Or somebody saw the kid. I don't know if it was a boy or girl take it. And then told like one of the, the you know, monitors out on the on the yard and the monitor kind of squared it away and make sure that it was returned to my daughter. But, you know, this is the age, right? I mean, all of these things are just starting and, you know, all of the sort of social stuff this is just going to get more and more complicated. But I think in hindsight, if I look at it from the other parent's perspective, the mistake was, hey, look, I don't you're telling me that my kid took something and you don't even know if the story is like even remotely true. And I guess part of it was that I acted off information that I already had about this boy, right? I was already predisposed mm-hmm. to thinking this kid was going to do this because of the kinds of stories that my daughter has been telling me, which again, just be, I mean, it doesn't mean that he's stealing stuff, but certainly, you know, a kid that's, I don't know, going around kicking and punching kids, like you make your assumptions and, and it's just that it's an assumption. And so I think, uh, you know, in fairness to the kid, just because you're going around punching people doesn't mean you're stealing. Although it does seem like there might be a correlation, but, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, again, I think that if I had to do it over again, I would not have done it and I would have simply just let it go. And I think the lesson for my daughter was like, look, you got to put your stuff away and you got to know that anything that goes to school might not come back with you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, even if you know who took it, it doesn't mean it's coming back with you. Right. Like, so I think that was the mistake that I made. And I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, the challenge too is that, look, these are young kids. And also, you just don't know how the parent's going to react. You know, are they going to like just fly off the handle going, look, what you accusing my kid of doing this thing? Like, I, I know my kid or, you know, whatever. Like, it's, it's, it's a very sensitive topic, um, you know, when you're dealing with somebody's kid. And, and so, you know, was it really worth all of this? Like, I have a ton of stress, probably more stress than the mother who uh, may or may not be pissed off at me, but I have a ton of, more st- I have a ton of stress about it because I'm like, I just feel like, you know, and at this point, what, do I apologize? Like, I don't know, the whole thing's just weird, right? So um, learning learning process for me. And I guess, you know, it's funny because we have podcasts about like, you know, advice on raising newborns and stuff like this. But now, like now it's like, I think it's like just a whole new world of the social interaction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how to deal with that and, again, how to deal with other parents and, you know, not knowing the intricacies. And, I mean, I remember this, I was at a field trip one time and I saw these two parents, they were talking about their kids. And it was like, it was like right after a, a parent-teacher conference and the kids were younger. And I remember these two parents were going like, yeah, the teacher says our kids are out of control. <laughs> it's because we're not. And I think they're both like, you know, both sets of parents. It's like both sets of parents are doctors or lawyers or whatever, you know, it's just like really people that don't have a ton of time. And it sounded like the teacher was like, my guess is you guys, you as parents are not spending enough time with your kids and they're acting out at school. Mm-hmm. And so the parents are like, maybe we need to do a play date or like do drop off. Like maybe we should carpool or they're just trying to strategize on ways to kind of help their kids. But, you know, again, it's just the, the complexities. You just, you don't know what everybody's home life is like, you know, and so you're just not clear how that email that gets sent off is going to be responded to if now all of a sudden you're the bad guy. And again, even if my daughter was like, Hey, I saw this kid take these cards. I would fight for that. But the other parent might be like, my little angel Mm -hmm. would never in a million years take anything, even though like, 
he or she is like the greatest defender that the school has ever seen in their lifetime, right? Like you just don't know. And, and I think that was the complexity, but you know, ongoing story, I'll, I'll fill you in if there's an update to it. There's something else about it, uh, just standing up for your daughter, I think that makes sense. And I'm, I'm forgetting what we had read, but there was some times when the, the girls were younger and they'd be at the playground, just the neighborhood playground, and there'd be some kid who, you know, did something mean or threw sand or something. And my feeling is, just walk away, you know, just don't yeah. play with that kid. Just don't worry mm-hmm. about it. But there was something that we had read or my wife had read that there's some that it's important for you or for us, for me, I guess, to take my daughter's hand and come over there and say, look, you know, you did this thing. Uh, you know, can you apologize or that wasn't a nice thing? Or so, I, I don't remember what it was, but there was something mm-hmm. about doing and it was totally a pointless exercise other than having my daughter see that I had her back. You know, mm-hmm. and, and in some ways, I think that's what you've done with your daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a very sticky situation with the, you know, the accusation and all that. Um, but for your daughter to know that you're taking it seriously and that you believe her and that, you know, you're doing what you can, I think that's got its own merit. I mean, it's an interesting point, though, that you make because, yeah, generally, like stuff on the playground, yeah, like I'll just take the girl and go, like, all right, let's walk away from this. Because, again, you just you don't know how parents are going to react. Uh, but I think you're right, right? There is something that is important to show the child that you're there for mm-hmm. them. Um, but yeah, I mean, like as an adult, oftentimes I'm like, this is not worth it, you know, because you just, again, you don't like, I remember this one time we were at one of the museums and they had this little uh, playground thing. And this kid, it was like this, this, you know, like the kids were all like whatever, two or three. And this three-year-old went up and just like slammed this other kid. And, you know, the kid went down crying and the mom just kind of went in quickly to take her child that was hit. And meanwhile, this like other three-year-old is just like throwing stuff around, hitting kids. And I'm like, that parent doesn't care at all. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like going up to that parent and saying, your kid just took a swing at this other kid and just knocked them off their feet. That you're not going to get anywhere with that. Right. Mm -hmm. All you're going to do is you're going to have a confrontation with this parent who clearly, in my opinion, is not a good parent because they're just not at all paying any attention. Um, and you know, really all your risk is basically getting into some major altercation. Mm-hmm. But so, you know, yeah, my, generally I'm like, all right, well, you know, turn the other cheek cause you know, whatever. But I think you're right. Like it does make sense in those instances to confront and you know, whatever you get into a verbal altercation, you get into an altercation and maybe at you know, over two or three, it doesn't matter. But certainly at, you know, second grade, like the kids can understand the complexity of what's happening. So I, I like that, uh, bringing it up. I still think I'd probably pick my battles, but certainly I would think twice about turning the other cheek um, for certain things as opposed to like, okay, is this a, is this a teachable moment for my daughter mm-hmm. to understand, to stand up for herself um, or that, you know, her parents are going to stand up for her. Um, so it, it's definitely something that I would think about moving forward. We hope you found today's episode informative. If you'd like to support the podcast and hear more discussions around fatherhood, please subscribe and drop us a review. If you have any questions, hit us up on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash papaifatigue. That's P-A-P-A-E-S-T-F-A-T-I-G-U-E. Thanks for listening.